to the Hotter Than Health podcast, a plant-dominant podcast and resource for those looking to expand and elevate their health. Every Thursday, you can expect provocative and engaging topics, entertaining interviews, and some of the biggest names in health and wellness. Be prepared for tangible tips and takeaways, and to fully understand what it means to live an optimized and energized life. I just don't know how well the Western clinical modes work without being mindful and aware of yourself first. Thank you so much for today's show sponsor, Sambucol. There's honestly nothing more important than taking care of yourself, because if you're not feeling your best, you can't be your best. Sambucol helps you feel your best with powerful immune support powered by nature's superfruit, black elderberry. I have been taking a couple of these gummies almost every single day, especially while we were traveling. We were just in the mountains and it was super easy to pop a couple of these gummies to make sure that we were staying supported with our immunity. We didn't want to waste any time with recovery. So we were taking some of these effervescent tablets as well as the gummies almost every single day. What I really love about the effervescent tablets especially is you just pop one into, I do about 24 ounces of water so that I'm actually getting hydrated while I'm getting the antioxidants and immune support from the original black elderberry. Sambucol is a trusted brand. It is the original black elderberry and was developed by a virologist. So I know that I'm actually getting great quality support. So this is a great product that I highly recommend to anyone who is looking to bolster their immunity and support their overall wellness. You can get 15% off of your next order of $9.99 or more at sambucolusa.com. Use the code HOTTER for 15% off. Again, that is 15% off of your next order of $9.99 or more at sambucolusa.com usa.com using the code hotter hello hello thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of hotter than health i am your host eliza gelman holistic nutritionist and podcaster very excited to have on our guest of the week. We have Lair Torrent. If you are a Charleston local, you may have heard of him. He has been a very prominent part of the health and wellness and mindfulness space in Charleston. He is a licensed, uh, clinically trained marriage and family therapist. But today in the podcast episode, we really tap into uh, childhood trauma. We tap into how to be more mindful in our romantic relationships. We also also tap into our past programming and what in our past could potentially be leading us to why we are the way we are today. And I think that this is incredibly valuable for anyone listening because we all have our shit. Nobody is perfect. Nobody comes from a perfect home because humans are just that. They are imperfect. And if we try and fool ourselves to think that there has to be some crazy traumatic incident that happens for us to need to do work on ourselves and understand the true depths of ourselves, that's that's where we are flawed. And Lair does a really great job of putting it into perspective that everyone has to do this work. He talks about the work he has done on himself. He talks about how he implements this into his marriage as a father, as a friend, and just how he sets boundaries for himself. And just a little warning, we do tap into, um, I, I had no idea we were going to do this, but I asked a question and he brought me into a space of really realizing that there's some things in my childhood that I do need to address. And it was it was really eye-opening, yes, 
but it was also validating and I felt very seen and understood because there have been situations in my life that have been huge and monumental and, and life altering, but it was actually, it was actually a couple of other moments and actually years of living through a certain situation that has contributed so much to why I internalize so much now. Anyways, that's a, that's a very vague, (laughs) ambiguous statement, but you'll, you'll hear in the episode. And if anyone is in a relationship, great, this will be applicable and there will be tips and tools. If you are not, then this is going to help you to understand yourself a little bit better, especially if you have kids or if you're thinking about it, it's a really nice way to start to integrate these mindfulness practices and modalities into your life before any big life event right? So let's go ahead and introduce our guest for today. Who is Lair Torrent? Lair is a clinically trained and licensed marriage and family therapist. He earned his master's degree from Mercy College, and he was trained in Eastern psychology and through the Helix training program, which is a rigorous four-year multidiscipline training located in New York City. We talk a little bit about that in the podcast. Lair has been resourced and interviewed by NPR, the New York Times, and yes, Rolling Stone Magazine for his expertise and work in couples or individual counseling. Currently, Lair is in Charleston, South Carolina, but you'll hear in the podcast a little bit more about how he is expanding and what he is doing and what his goals are for the future. Right now, he is all virtual. So if you want to check out more information on that, definitely check him out on Instagram and I will link all of this information in the show notes. We are also going to be doing a giveaway with his new book. I've read about 20 or 30 pages so far and I love it. It was immediately, (laughs) it was immediately attractive to me because it was one of those books where you feel like you can really, you, you can put yourself in each situation. You're like, oh, that sounds like this person. That sounds like this person. That sounds like this scenario. And it's uh, it's an easy read, but it's really, really impactful. I know you all will love it. So all you have to do to enter to win a copy of his new book is go onto my most recent Instagram post on Hotter Than Health podcast and let us know your favorite part of the podcast. Let us know if you liked it, what resonated, and you'll be entered into win a signed and maybe a little inscribed copy of his book. Again, for more people to hear this podcast who maybe don't follow us on Instagram or who are looking for this information but don't listen to Hotter Than Health yet, make sure you write us a review on iTunes or rate us five stars. The more physical ratings and reviews we have, the more we get pushed out to people who have never heard of Hotter Than Health. So help us to grow the podcast, help it to get out there in front of more people that need to hear this information and that would be so, so appreciated. But without further ado, we have the handsome and wise sage wisdom coming from Lair Torrent. Welcome to the podcast. Where should I start? (laughs) Right? So we, even before we started recording, you mentioned you were raised by all women. So take me back to your childhood. Oh man. Um, So my mom was 14, 15 when she had me. Oh wow. Um, uh, abject poverty. Uh, we had a house, I guess you could call it that. Mm-hmm. It had no heat. It had no running water. It had no electricity. We used, we had a roof, we had walls, there were windows. Um, we had an outhouse. Um, mm-hmm. so it was upstate New York. 
So it was, uh, you know, it was hard scrapple. Um, and my mom was thrown out of school for being pregnant with me because, you know, why not take away more from her than she, than she needed? And my biological father um, stayed in school and was able to keep playing football and doing all the things that a boy could do, uh, even though he had a certainly had a hand in this. Yeah. And, um, maybe not a hand, but yeah, yeah or something mm -hmm. in there. Um, and, uh, um, I was put in foster care for the first four months of my life. Mm -hmm. And then my mom somehow convinced the state that they, that they should allow her to take me back. And Wait. so from that point I was really raised by my mother, my grandmother, my aunt was around. Um, and, and that, there were some formative years where it was just just the ladies mm -hmm. in me, mm -hmm. and uh, and so you know that's that's where I got my wiring. I mm -hmm. think even though uh, my father kind of dabbled around, was around a little bit um, when I was younger. I lived with him for a minute. He was terribly abusive and rageaholic. Um, mm -hmm. Young, you know, he was seventeen, eighteen years old. Yeah. He was a, an idiot. And then my my stepfather came into the picture you know, a little bit later on, um, still youngish. And he was a better hockey coach than he was a, um, oh. than he was an actual parent. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where the, uh, the presentation comes from. You mentioned that you briefly saw your biological father when you were younger and mm -hmm. you don't have much, do you have any relationship with him at no, all? Zero. When was the last time you saw him? I was 13 years old. What is it? Do you picture your quote unquote father mm -hmm. as being a kid still, or do you picture him as an older man? No, I think when you're a kid, you picture them, the adults in the room as the adults in the room. Mm -hmm. And it was the seventies to date myself. So he had this big old black mustache. Mm -hmm. I can be honest with you to this day. I still have trauma around black mustaches. Is what come, what, what do you think? I when can you see feel it? a stress response in my body um, that I wouldn't notice if I weren't quite you know, a practitioner of mindfulness. Yeah. Um, but I noticed it and, and have noticed it that when I said, of course, here we are in the era of like, Hey, let's grow some ironic mustaches. And, um, you know, when you come to Charleston, you get your, you know, $300 boots and your beard and your, yeah. your Charleston welcome kit. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and so you see them and I've noticed in my, in my body, I'm like, Oh, and I'm like, what is that? And I'm like, Oh wow. man, that's that wounded kid in me. That's that little boy in me. Who's still afraid of that guy with that mustache. Yeah. He's still in there. I want to go back to, you said your mother was kicked out of school. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that got me. So she was kicked out of school mm -hmm. because she got pregnant. Mm -hmm. Kicked off the cheerleading team too, by the way. Well, this, the principal told my grandmother mm -hmm. that we can't have her here because she's going to be a bad influence on the other girls. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So already there is this stigma on sex. At, yeah. Of course. And by the way, she's the one who was bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And that's, we didn't even talk about that, of course, because the guy can just stay in school and continue on with his life because apparently he has more value and more to offer in this world, right? So, sure. so Well, he's not going to carry it around, yeah. it, meaning me. And be a distraction. And we're not going to be able to see it mm -hmm. hanging off the front of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned you went to foster care for the first four months of your life. Is that because financially your mother at that point didn't have the means like how could she you know well, i'm gonna be sure that whatever version of cps was up there saw what was going on and went and looked and they're like okay there's no I mean, in that little town 
everybody kind of knew everybody's situation. And my grandmother already had five kids in that town and mm. they were rambunctious and wild. And I think, um, yeah, so people kind of knew how impoverished they were. And mm -hmm. so someone, a, a state official came in and took me away. Mm -hmm. And we just validated that completely. Mm -hmm. So you got back, mm -hmm. you live, were raised primarily by females. What's your relationship with your mom now? Or if she's around, I don't know. Uh, what's your relationship like now? Oh man, this may be a whole nother podcast. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. So my mom was lived in my in my life as a hero, as a heroine, and and was you know she went early in my life. She knew that she needed to get an education, so she marched every. She would hitchhike from our apartment in not a nice neighborhood to to college, uh, and that was twenty miles. Um, each way wow. she would waitress at night and I would stay with my aunt and, um, yeah. And that's the way it was for a long time. And then she got educated. She went to Syracuse university. She opened her own business. Uh, she crushed it. And then the bottle got her. Got it. Yeah. She started drinking and drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, then I had kids and a wife and, you know, it was so bad that I had to say to her, you know, you can't be around my kids when you're drinking. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, um, it finally, you know, in, in sort of this alcoholic paranoid state, you know, she did and said some things that required us to kind of be like, okay, I think that's going to be enough for a while. And mm -hmm. so this is kind of where we are. Got it. Yeah. Toxic. It became really toxic. Mm -hmm. I couldn't ask my clients to check out the toxic relationships in your life and decide if you're going to be in relationship to that toxicity and then not walk that path myself. So I had to kind of go, okay, if you're mm. going to do this, then we can't do that. Do the hard work. Yeah. And that, uh, it started with observation and then boundaries, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. how important are boundaries to you in your life? How do you practice boundaries? Like on a, give an example of day-to-day -day basis. So remember the last time you, you implemented a boundary to protect um, your peace. Oh man. Uh, well, I do it. I have to navigate boundaries every day. I mean, just with kids, I've got a 12 year old and a, and a nine year old, mm -hmm. um, to have some sense of sovereignty and to have a, to go to my well and to be the good father, husband, person in the world. I need to be able to kind of boundary myself and they want me every day, all of the time. And they're little sponges and it's great. Um, but at the same time, I know if I don't go insular and draw some boundaries and like take that walk, spend some time alone, read that book, um, meditate or whatever it is that I'm going to do for that day. Mm. If I don't boundary that time, then I'm just not the best version of myself. I navigate boundaries moment to moment with clients. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I do a little bit differently than a, than with a, than a lot of therapists. There is typically this sort of opaque shield. There's the therapist, you're the client, and that's going to be it. Mm -hmm. I don't buy that. I think, you know, I'm a person, I can't front that I don't struggle. I think it does something to the work when a client knows that you struggled as they have struggled, you've loved as they have loved. Mm -hmm. And, um, I roll up my sleeves. It's not going to, when if someone sits with me in a, in a session, it's not going to be a lot of like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and how does that make you feel? Yeah. You're so, like, give you know, me something. I mean, I'm going to ask you how it makes you feel, but I'm going to try to do it organically and make mm -hmm. it sound cool. Um, <laughs> but, but, but if it fits and it's okay with the client, I'm going to be like, Hey, yeah, that happened to me or something similar like that happened to me as well. And mm -hmm. this is what, this is how I felt about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that clients really, 
get a lot out of that type of interaction. I agree. Yeah. I used to go to a therapist who at one point, our relationship has really evolved. Uh, I needed her at a time when I didn't realize I needed someone to be soft for me. Mm-hmm. And it was perfect. Yep. It was perfect. Cause I was, I don't know if you're yin and yang energy work, but I was a lot of, I think yin, I was mm-hmm. just masculine, hard, cold, and I needed some yang. And so mm-hmm. she was really helpful. And I remember I don't even think she spoke the first two sessions, three sessions we had. I was just sobbing, blubbering the whole time, and she was taking notes. She was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but I remember seeing her out at a dinner because this town is so small. Yeah. I saw her out at a dinner, and she looked at me, and she just, like, put her hands on my hand. She's like, have an awesome night. I have to go. And she was like, I, we have – this is separate. Mm. This Can is I separate. This? And I completely – I Did saw her – at first, I thought – that's crazy. We can have both. This is great. Share a drink with me. But then mm-hmm. I started to realize that maybe I do need her to keep that space mm-hmm. for me separate. Fast forward, maybe two years later, I was seeing her and we were talking about relationships and what have you. And she related to me on something that I was struggling with. And she said, normally I don't do this, but I have to let you know. It sounds like I'm talking. And I was like, oh, and it just humanized her so much to the point where not, I just felt very seen. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that and it made me so confident in our process Mm -hmm. that I didn't care if it took three years. Mm -hmm. I was like that moment brought it all to life because you were human with me for 10 seconds. She's not, she's walking the path. She's asking you to walk. Yeah. 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 Which is exactly what you did Mm -hmm. with your mom Mm -hmm. and what you tell your your clients as well. Mm -hmm. You work primarily with individuals or do you work with couples? Is there a 50 50 when you're working with clients? Where would you You put yourself? It it falls. It can be 60, 40, either way, 50, 50. Mm -hmm. It just really depends on, on what's coming in. I mean, with the pandemic and people being under the same roof, a lot more hours than they're used to. I have to say there are a lot of couples calling in. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did, I did have a question about that. When you have a couple come in Mm -hmm. and is it typically a client that you already have? Who's like, you know what? You need to come with me to my next session with Lair. Mm -hmm. Is it typically like that? Or is it someone brand new who has heard of your work who comes in? It's usually someone brand new on occasion, depending on the relationship with the individual client, we can bring in the, and this is one of those things that a lot of therapists don't either do or talk about. I think Mm -hmm. they do it. They just don't talk about it where you do allow the the spouse or the partner to come in for a brief time, in which case I'll just say to them, listen, we are triangulating this relationship. Uh, We have to recognize that I've been working with this person for some time. Mm -hmm. You're now the new person. If at any point you feel it's out of balance, please let me know. I try to Mm -hmm. make it as fair feeling as possible. It's usually brief therapy for that. Mm -hmm. Like there's a specific problem they're coming in to, to work with, but also, it's like a threesome. Like the guy can't be more into the other girl. You know, it has no, to gotta, be equal. You got to mix it up. You got to go back. Sure. Yeah, all yep. the way around. Mm-hmm. Make sure you spread it around a bit. Exactly. Um, it just makes me feel so filthy. Um, <laughs> so this is not that kind of podcast. There's no filth happening. This is all normal. So um, yeah. So so it's you've got to make sure that it's it's feels helpful. Even it's typically needs to be brief, but it also tends to be really helpful for the spouse that's only heard about the therapist. And look, sometimes the work you do with one individual client, the other one's going, what the fuck's going on? Everything's changing. 
Mm-hmm. What are you doing? What do you mean? What did he say? Yeah. And you become the third party, whether you want to be there or not. Energetically, you're in the room. Well, Lair said. Yeah. It's like, okay, don't do that. Don't use me as a cudgel. <laughs> Bring him in. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. And then they see, oh, this guy's not, you know. His reality is what I, completely opposite than what yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, so if you can normalize some of this, that, hey, we're just really working in, in everybody's best interest here, then that becomes um, really helpful for everybody, I think, yeah. How often is it that people come in and their realities are so separate? She's like, it feels like you don't want me at all. And he's like, I wish we had more physical contact or, or something along those lines. How often Where, is it that people are missing each other so much that they didn't even realize that something was a problem? Or is that not often? often. Mm. I don't think it's a silly question. I think it has happened mm-hmm. where it presents one of two ways. Either they are just missing one another. And for me, there's like, okay, well, what's going on here that you have almost zero experience of each other. Yeah. That seems strange to me. Are we talking ever? I like the way you phrase that experience of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, you're just coexisting. I mean, I get it. People get busy. Yeah. Stuff's happening and, it, mm-hmm. and it's, but you don't, that tells me you don't talk at all mm-hmm. or that you are absolutely unattuned mm-hmm. to one another's experience and siloed in your own. What, what the hell's going on there? That that's yeah. the problem. Um, sometimes, People will come in and I'll get the, um, well, I want to come in with my partner, uh, but I just want to start with you. I just want to come in for one session first on my own. And I'm like, eyebrow up, mm-hmm. question mark overhead. And then it's like, what do you want to cushion? What mm-hmm. are you going to tell them? And by the way, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, Pearl Harbor this person with you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Like this isn't you and me trying to come in with a common goal and then get them on board, you know? Right. Or they got, they have a secret to, to vault, to devolve. That before we get into the mindfulness Mm -hmm. respect, because I do think that that's so important to talk about because Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're in a field of your own as far as your profession goes, it seems. Do you think that traditional therapy works um, I'm, I know this sounds like a crazy question. No, no, it's a good question. Like, it's actually a really I good question. I don't know. Uh, traditional therapy, you mean Western clinical modalities? Yes. Okay. Uh, the answer is yes and no. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be the clinician that I am using Eastern-based philosophy within it, inter, inter, intertwining inter, that Eastern philosophy with yeah, Western clinical Yeah, you have a holistic modalities. approach. If I didn't think, thank you. Uh, if I didn't think they both worked, mm-hmm. I just don't know how well the Western clinical modes work without being mindful and aware of yourself first. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, for me and for the people I work with, it just seems like such a great ramp or onboarding process to get really aware of what you're thinking and what you're feeling. If you're not, then how, how do you implement those things in your life? It's easy to do it in the room when the, when there's a ref there going, so now tell me how you feel. No, 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 not what you think. That's what you, that's what you, tell me what you feel in, in, in your body, in your body. Oh, that's, that's where your body is right there. Yeah. Right. People won't do that in, in, out in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes really difficult, I think, to implement the things that Western um, clinical modes offer us without that mindful piece. Mm-hmm. You mentioned in your book that in the beginning you were not upset, but you were frustrated because you had been running into the same conversations mm-hmm. with the same therapists. And I don't know how many years ago this was a while ago, but mm-hmm. you had been running into the same conversations. You're like, yeah, hope it works for them. 
you know, hope they yeah. do it. Well, welcome to couples therapy is what they told me. Exactly. So yeah. they were like, yeah, this is essentially couples mm-hmm. therapy where you go in, you listen to their problems. Maybe you recommend some practices that they can do in front of you, but then it's never or it's rarely implemented. Statements. Yes. Right. What uh, I think I heard you say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's and validate that. How do you structure your sessions mm-hmm. so that people feel confident implementing the work into their lifestyle because I feel like a lot of the times mm-hmm. it's almost, you know, it's a little nerve wracking to implement that stuff. Corny. It feels so corny. Yeah. It feels so corny. Yeah. The other night yeah. I was telling you this before, like my boyfriend and I are very different in some respects where he's very logic based where sometimes I like to daydream mm-hmm. and you know, I'll say, Hey, can we, let's do a puzzle tonight before we turn on the TV. Let's do a puzzle. Yeah. He's going to murder me. Mm-hmm. Let's do a puzzle or a game or Uno or categories, whatever. Right. And he just doesn't get why I want to do that. I'm like, just for a second, let's just pretend that for the next 30 minutes, mm-hmm. TV doesn't exist. Wi-Fi doesn't exist. Like what's your favorite color? And you know, I'll ask these yeah. silly little questions right. and I feel phony doing it. He, he's like, what are you doing? Are you high right now? Mm-hmm. Maybe, mm-hmm. but at the same time, <laughs> it's a good possibility. potentially, yeah. but we don't need to worry about that. We're no. still having fun. And, um, so it does feel corny and like, I'm almost trying Put to on. force it in, but it's almost like you, you get a taste for it. Mm-hmm. As soon as they start to answer that question, you're like, okay, in a little bit, you know? And so then it starts to feel more natural, but how do you structure your sessions so that people feel confident going home and doing this mindfulness work? Like people who have never meditated, people who have never spoken about their feelings. Anyone who's been in session with me knows that I am um, not a traditionalist and I don't deliver anything traditionally. And often they'll say it doesn't feel like therapy so much as it feels like a conversation. Mm. Um, I speak plainly and I use words, typically I'll borrow theirs, um, to make the process, whatever the practice is. And, you know, I have the five practices in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, they're very accessible and, you know, so I have these five practices and I use them in my life, but I also use them in my session. So I'll look at the couple and I'll kind of go, okay, so this is what they, and I'll start with something, Mm -hmm. but typically things like, well, what part of you is here? And they'll be like, "What what do you mean? I'll say, well, okay, so you guys are having communication problems. They're like, yeah. And I'm like, you actually don't have communication problems. You have parts of self problems. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you have parts of you, right? I guess. I mean, I'm just me. No, you're not the single organism you see looking back at you in the mirror. There are many vestiges of you, many parts of you. Like the part of you that goes to work is probably very different than the part of you that hangs out with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you do. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh yeah, that's true. Like you have a part of you that gets really angry with this person. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of a part. It's an aspect yeah. of yourself. And so we just sort of explaining that in sort of layman's terms. Okay. So go, what part of you is here? I love that question. Yeah. We don't go, Oh, now we are doing the communication device. Right. Yeah. So what I think I heard you say is no, what, what part of you shows up to this first? Because our, our, our brain is compartmentalized and it acts a lot like, um, it acts, your brain acts a lot like your cell phone. Mm. And so you have to know what app to use at the right time. So if you want to have a loving, compassionate conversation with your partner, you need to be in the app that does that, the part of self that does that. Mm-hmm. If you're in your weapons, hot fighter part of self, which we tend to go too quickly or in your inner critic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the skill set does not exist in that app. It's like trying to send an email from your Instagram. Wow. Can't do it. Right. You have mm-hmm. to pull up and out of Instagram and go over to your email or send an email. Mm-hmm. 
So knowing yourself that way. And so when I, I just did the, for you what I do to people. Yeah. Which is, you put it in terms that people understand. That's exactly what I need. I, I work on analogies mm -hmm. and I, I need to visualize things. That's mm -hmm. really so helpful. Mm -hmm. And then I also picture, I picture a man's brain and this is not to generalize. It's kind of just the way I see it is like waffle and pancake in a way where waffles can, Which one am I? well, you'll see. So waffles have compartments yeah. where the syrup may fall into each organized compartment. Got it. Pancakes. Just syrup falls all the way down. So I th think of a woman's brain where we think about a lot of different things all at once. Oh. Whereas men, in my experience, okay. they've been able to compartmentalize slightly. Whereas the women in the, you know, you double click the bottom of your phone and all the apps mm -hmm. that are live and active pop up and you have to swipe out of them mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's how I picture my brain mm -hmm. is that I notice the work that I'm doing. How am I showing up? How is he reacting to this or they, how are they reacting to this? And then what am I really trying to get to? That sounds like the witness position, less than okay. like not being as compartmentalized. I mean, Jung said it best is the brain looks like a singular organism, but it's not, it's modular in, na in nature. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've seen comp compartmentalization is fucking real. I almost failed my licensing exam because of it. You forget shit. And we've all, all we've all got the same, you know, kind of brains for the most part. I think you're right though. I think we are different in a lot of ways, men yeah. and women, but that, that just sounds to me like you are able to kind of witness that your experience in a more of a, a uh, omnipresent position. I feel like I do that all the time. And this goes back to past memories that might, you might not have thought about in 10 years that sometimes come up and you still feel that trigger. Like as far as stories we tell ourselves, I'm trying to think of a way to say this. When people come in to mm -hmm. see you and work mm -hmm. with you, what is a common emotion or feeling that comes up or, or word, because a lot of the times we describe something and it's mm -hmm. not necessarily a feeling. Mm -hmm. What is the most common thing that comes up that you have been seeing lately? And mm -hmm. how do you often relate it back to a memory or a trauma or something that has come up in your life? So I'm going to back into this one. Mm -hmm. um, However you want to take it. Oh my yeah, God. So Speak for two hours. I love this. We have four big ones and only four. If you can find a fifth one, I'm happy to, to rewrite the book. The questions tend to be, am I safe? Am I loved? Am I enough? Mm. Do I matter? Okay. Those are the things that they present under the surface of all of our core wounding and all the problems that we have in our lives, whether it be in our work, with our, in relationship to ourselves, a relationship to friends, family, relationships to, to a romantic partner. Am I safe? Am I loved? Am I enough? And do I matter? Mm. They're, they are the, the, the fundamental questions we're asking as we come through the gates of life, right? Mm -hmm. As little babies or these little energetic balls, you look down at that baby and the baby is looking around and they're asking those questions. And I know that sounds strange, but they are. They're asking it of their family, their parents, their nuclear family, their extended family. And then as we grow and we move through the formative years of our lives, we're asking it of the world around us. Am I safe? Am I loved? Am I enough? Do I matter? And when one or more of those questions are not answered in the affirmative, then we get what's called a core wound. Mm -hmm. We get the split off part of our psyche we call the wounded child. And so that part kind of goes into shadow, as Jung liked to say, right? And mm -hmm. so we move through our lives and we're adults and we're moving through our professional lives and we feel fairly whole for the most part, I guess. But then we notice where friction happens with a partner or in our work or with friends or what have you. Beneath every conversation, no matter what the mundane, monotonous topic might be, or maybe seemingly important topic mm -hmm. might be, 
you can bet when we drop down below the noise of, you said you were going to be there at 8.30, you didn't show up till 9. You said you were going to pick up the groceries and you didn't. Whatever that is, mm-hmm. underneath the surface of that is two kids asking the questions, am I safe, am I loved, am I enough, do I matter? Mm-hmm. And the one you didn't get or the ones you didn't get, mm-hmm. those are the ones you're probably asking the most. Can you give an example? Sure. Because someone, um, someone who's in their 30s, who's te- thinking about it now, and maybe there's not a specific... Well, you're a woman in the world. You're a woman in this country. Mm-hmm. Now, you present as a Caucasian woman in this world, and that's a thing. Mm-hmm. But you're a woman in this world. Am I safe is a thing. I was thinking about this last night. Mm-hmm. I had a dream that I was kidnapped, raped, and I was going to be killed. Yeah. And it was because I was getting into the wrong Uber. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Something that... I don't have to think about that. Mm-mm. I'm a white guy in America. At least I present that way, right? Mm-hmm. And so I you know, can walk around and I don't necessarily, I mean, I do because of my, you, you talked about trauma. Because of my trauma, people wouldn't notice it. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason the way I look the way I look the way. There's a reason why I have tattoos Protective. going. Yeah. I'm going to give you the sense that I might throttle you if you mess with me. Because yeah. I'm not safe in the world. There's a, there's a little boy in me who, who was poor I had to, my mom was protecting me. She's 15, 16, 17 years old. Mm. The world was not safe for me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then there was the question of, this is not to pry, but am I enough? You were in foster care for the first four months of your life, Mm -hmm. you know, when -hmm. you should have been held at Mm -hmm. the closest point to your mother. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you mentioned, okay, I'm a woman in the world. That's something underneath that is, like you said, omnipresent, like it's always there. Mm-hmm. It is always there. Imagine being a black person in the United States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. And there are so many other stories that we've even had on the podcast that it's, I can't even really respond to because mm-hmm. I just, I can't. Mm-hmm. And so this all goes back to shadow work and inner child. How often do you do this work with your clients? Every single day. Every single day. Every day, all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What if there is a client who can't pinpoint a memory or a moment or something in their life? Or what if there's something that happened when this person was in their late teens and early 20s? Is that still as traumatic with those questions? Or is it more in the formative years? No, no. I I count those as formative years all the way till your brain's fully formed when you're like, you know, as a woman, when you're 26, when you're a guy, when you're 28, mm-hmm. then your brain's finally done cooking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But the real tough ones, pre, pre-verbal trauma, you were sort of asking around about my trauma with regard to these questions and try to find the trauma when you can't speak and you're a pre-verbal four month old who's been ripped from your mother and you don't know who these people are. I mean, that's yeah. some shit, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find that and wondering why it's eking out and what the fuck, why did I do that? Why did I make that choice? Mm-hmm. Am I safe? Am I loved? Mm-hmm. Do I matter? Those are in there. So inner child work. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example, like a real example of a client who came in mm-hmm. and had no idea that shadow work was necessary and then they had a breakthrough and can you talk about what that looked like? It's a lot of, uh, 
just to give people perspective what that might look like, because I think a lot of people are still resistant to shadow work or inner child. Well, I child. think when we call it shadow work, sure. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> a little deep, a, a little, <laughs> a little deep diving. It's like dark magic. <laughs> right. It really is. What? Dark magic. I, what? No, I don't want that. <laughs> like absolutely not. I no, prefer to be no. right here and safe. Right, but people can deal with. I have a wounded child. They go, okay. Well, there's a. So I'll say to them, look. They'll start talking and they'll tell me what happened. I'll, I'll say, well, that feels really young to me. Like when they start saying something, whether you're, you're an adult in the world and yet you feel really, how do you feel in your body? And like, I'm shaking, I'm trembling. When I talk about it, like I could feel like a, I get a, a, a t uptick in my heart rate. And I go, right. You're having a fight, flight, freeze response right now. Mm -hmm. Right. This, mm -hmm. this feels, you're, are you scared? Yeah, I'm a little scared. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to run. What do you want to do? I want to run. I want to get out of here. I don't want to talk about this. Mm -hmm. I just want to move away from this. Okay. Mm -hmm. That feels really protective and that feels really young. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? I, th I think, I think this, can you tell me more about that memory? How old were you when that happened? How old do you feel when you talk about it? Yeah. And when they start getting into it, we're, it's just underneath the surface. And most people have access to, to this, to these memories or to the feelings, um, Sometimes the memories are not there because the trauma is so huge. And so, you know, they'll have, they'll be repressed. They've, they've, they've made um, a habit of, because their trauma was so acute, um, they disassociated their whole life. And you'll see the disassociation in their, in their adult life too. And I'm like, it's a wonderful and fantastic strategy because mm -hmm. they hate it when they do it. And I'm like, I'm so airy. I can't keep my mind. I'm like, right, but you had to. And it was amazing that you could. It was like your survival. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, and I've talked about this before is that there was definitely a period of two and a half, three years where I was fully disassociated, just mm -hmm. couldn't feel mm -hmm. unless it was pure adrenaline mm -hmm. or depression or a first class trip to Europe. Like I, there was no joy. Couldn't, it was, I always, I always relate it back to a polygraph test. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this with my nutrition clients as well. Mm -hmm. If your life with the way you think about food, drugs, alcohol, just your day to day. If your mind is on the polygraph going up and down, up and down, it seems like you're lying and you're, you know how when the polygraph goes off and you're mm -hmm. lying, it'll start to really go high up and down crazy. Yeah. A lot of us live in that state. Yeah. We live in that state. So you can't see the minuscule pauses in between where you are at a stable, steady state because you're living in this. So if you're trying to get back to your baseline, I feel like that's what I was trying to do for two and a half years, mm -hmm. never found my baseline. So I couldn't enjoy those little moments in between. I couldn't enjoy the pauses. There was no joy in food and friends and time spent unless it was pure adrenaline or pure depression and stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So those are the only two markers that I had for feeling. And then fast forward through a ton of work and I'm still bouncing back and forth between that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like so many people are living in this state of lie in the polygraph test, mm -hmm. like so, so anxious and avoidant mm -hmm. and fearful of their emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, with, with when we're talking about disassociation, I also want to talk about, uh, narcissism a little bit. Okay. How would you describe a narcissist? somebody that hates themselves so much who they actually are that they've created a facade a part that they fully believe in present to the world mm -hmm. and and at all costs they have to keep up this facade because if if the facade came down then you'd see the 
aspect of themselves that they hate so much. How often is, is it that you think some people have are on the spectrum of narcissism? Is it, I, I almost feel like it's not that often, but that's just me. I think it's in my experience, it's not that like, I don't have a ton of experience with that, but I mean, I mean, I think it was a word for a time that was getting thrown around a lot, yeah. right? There was a lot of like articles out there. You couldn't shake a stick without hitting an article. Yeah. It talked about the empath and the narcissist. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. like a narcissistic, it was always narcissistic tendencies mm -hmm. and yeah. which is, which is fair. Mm -hmm. I think that there have actually been a lot of people that I've been speaking to in the past year or so mm -hmm. who believe that they grew up in a narcissistic household, whether it was their mother, whether it was their father, for someone who grows up in a narcissistic household with one dominant character mm -hmm. as a child, mm -hmm. it is really easy to feel like when you're around that energy mm -hmm. that you're not good enough, mm -hmm. you know, or nothing you do. It, it will be great for a second. Good job. Mm -hmm. What's next? What's next? What's next? Mm -hmm. Or comparison, all that stuff. What would be some, sh I'm not going to say shadow work. Uh, what would be some inner work that people could do to work on that? Yeah, it's a great question. Trauma. So you, noticing where you feel in, what's that? Selfish question. <laughs> Sorry. No, I didn't. I couldn't tell. No, it's just a selfish question for me. I was like, I need no, to. No, I know. I yeah. To I totally do. I'm going to write it down later. <laughs> I was like, okay, we're doing therapy now. Um, <laughs> I'm milking this thing wherever <laughs> I can. I, I actually just started charging you. Um, That's fine. I'll send you guys some pints. You'll get, you be getting some me. phone calls. I'm positive. So um, it's a it's 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 pretty much the same no matter what the the wound is. Mm -hmm. Noticing where you're feeling that deficiency, right? So that, as you said, like I'm not enough. So w when do you feel in your adult life like you're not enough? Mm -hmm. Right, because I'm going to imagine, I don't know a lot about you, but I know you have a podcast and you're doing all kinds of things and you've got a nutrition thing going and you've created this life for yourself that would not denote this deficit. It would not denote somebody who feels like they are not enough, mm -hmm. but there's a little girl in there. Mm -hmm. There's a little girl in there with eyes that look remarkably like the ones that are looking at me right now, who often feels like, often felt like she was not enough. Mm -hmm. And you're probably picturing yourself at that age right now. Oh, totally. Yeah. You have a sense of who she is. Mm -hmm. How do you feel in your body as I talk to you about it? I'm a little anxious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fully anxious. I can see your, just your cheeks. Just right here. Yeah. Your cheeks just flushed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Yeah. That's real. If we stayed with this, we'd probably get to some emotion real quick. Oh, yeah. No, let's let's divert. Just yeah. <laughs> for podcasting. Oh, no, no, We're staying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're not going to stay here long. I I'm just want you to ask the question, so, so I wanted to give you a visceral sense of yes. what the answer is, mm -hmm. right? And so you see just how close to the surface this little girl is. Yeah. I just had to name her truth, mm -hmm. and she came in the room. Mm -hmm. Right. <sighs> there it is. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's real. Like, why, why do this fucking podcast if you're not going to do some real shit? I know. Yeah. Like the one that's on YouTube. <laughs> Fuck. But it's fucking real and it's yeah. good. It's the truth. Mm -hmm. And you're not. And so you, these are, this is the path. The people who are listening to you, your yeah. audience, they're wanting to know how to walk it. And you're walking it for them right now. Look at how brave you are. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. You're fucking brave. Yeah. And so that's how close to the surface she is. She's right here. She's standing just over your shoulder going, um, hey, uh, am I enough? Uh, and she's so cute. She's <laughs> so adorable. cute. Mm -hmm. Right. So you want to turn to her. Mm -hmm. 
And you want to look her in those eyes and you want to go, holy shit, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I didn't see you. I didn't know you were there. Yeah. That stuff. Thanks. And you hug her. And you love her. And you promise her, I'm never going to do that to you again. I'm never going to treat you like you didn't matter, like you don't matter. And so you try every day to remember that there's a little girl inside of you. Yeah. I think that I forget that a lot. And it, um, whenever there are times when I do want to like, be playful or literally play games or daydream yeah. or... Maybe that's disassociation. Yeah, just Uno. you named it earlier. I yes, it. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when there are those times, and whether it's rejected or maybe I'll feel like that's silly to be doing that. Right. I need to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. It's just part, and, and that's just part of the childlikeness that's in me that was gone for I don't know years, but it's coming back. And I just, I'm like, okay, I want to stick with that. Also, it was, I, I read a book every morning, the daily stoic, you know, Ryan mm-hmm. holiday, mm-hmm. incredible. And I'll read like one of the pages in his book. And, um, there's a picture of my sister, my grandfather and me that I use as a bookmark. Mm-hmm. And it's so cute. We're like wearing these little Hawaiian dresses. And so I think about that mm-hmm. all the time. Like mm-hmm. I can picture who I was. Mm-hmm. It's wild how you can, I feel like I can like put myself in her body when she was feeling stressed when she was young. Mm -hmm. It's pretty crazy. Um, put a punctuation mark on this really quickly. Yeah. Just around the games because you've mentioned it a couple of times Mm -hmm. and I wonder how it makes you feel when someone plays a game with you. It makes me feel very seen and safe. You're getting closer. Well, I feel (laughs) I, it's all four of those things. <laughs> well, I think it makes you feel like you, that someone would do that, that you're, that, that you matter. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels like it dovetails on that little, that little person. In mm-hmm. you. Like they're present with me, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Fully present with yeah. me. Like I'm at, and, and I was raised by two very loving parents mm-hmm. that were so very much supportive and there for me and did everything for mm-hmm. my sister and I and my mm-hmm. younger brother. Mm-hmm. And they were parts of growing up that started coming in around age 14 or so Mm -hmm. that started to really derail that Mm -hmm. not derail their love and affection, but it it inserted a different dynamic that I was not equipped to handle. Mm -hmm. And I, you go based on a lot of energy, right? I was spending 15 years adapting my energy to make sure there was balance in the household. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of children do that subconsciously. Mm -hmm. They try and, you know, mom and dad are fighting. So I'm going to be so quiet in the corner. The other one is mom and dad are fighting. So I'm going to do some shit to pull their focus away from each other. Yes. So they'll focus on me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And to have that attention so that they can feel seen so that they can feel like they're enough. And that takes me back to when you started to really understand the work you needed to do. Mm. You didn't always know you wanted to be a therapist, I'm assuming. No. What did you want to be when you grew up? Here I am. I want to play games with you. Uh, so first, I wanted to be a hockey player. And so I played hockey. And, um, you know, I, I played hockey at a pretty high level, especially in high school. And, and, and after that, I um, 
I ended up getting a scholarship to a ritzy prep school in Connecticut. Damn. Yeah, it was, well, I got rejected on my academic scholarship, and then I sent the hockey coach my tape of me playing hockey, and suddenly I had an academic scholarship. Suddenly you have a 4.0. You're like, yeah, mm-hmm. look at me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to play hockey, and then um, I was a goalie, and I got tired of getting hit with pucks. And, uh, and so I sold all my hockey and moved to New York to be an actor. Really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's keep going. Yeah. So I was a, I moved to New York when I was in my early 20s, and um, I fell in love with that city, and I started out to be an actor, and very early I got signed to a bi-coastal agent, and I was going out for pilots and um, doing all cr- kinds of crazy things for that, and, and that was the bulk of my life for a very long time. How uh, long? I'm going to say about 15 years in total. Okay. Maybe ten, maybe less than that, maybe 12. But it was a lot jammed into one. And the ones that I missed are even are funnier than the ones that I got. But um, And so, you know, I did a lot of soap operas when they were a thing, a lot of off-Broadway theater, some film, and um, a pilot for ABC with Kira Cedric, all these different things. So cool. I had this... I had this, and I was on Law and Order a bunch of times. And so I had this, I had this <laughs> career that was kind of cooking. And I tell you all of that not to be like, oh, look at me. I mean, we will be searching back on episodes of Law and Order. Please don't. Um, and so uh, I was sitting in my trailer and uh, on, on the set of Law and Order, getting ready to do, our, uh, do a scene. And um, I'm sitting there, and I'd just been to hair and makeup. And, and I'm kind of living the dream. I have uh, the pilot is getting ready to come out. I'm doing this. I've got a play coming up next. And so I'm feeling my oats about that. And, and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden it was almost audible in my ear. I heard some voice say to me, uh, you know, this is all a big ego stroke. I'm not even sure I'm answering your question, but I'm doesn't matter. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. So I had been reading this book that said that you should do this exercise. Go and look, if you want to know what to do with your life, go and look at your bookshelf. And I had, um, about 50 books on psychology, on spirituality, about energy work, uh, all the things about self-help, you name it. I had about four acting books. Hmm. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Eight years of school coming your way. So that's when I decided to pivot. Wow. But I had always had it sort of in my ear that, you know, there's, this was here. Mm-hmm. And I might want to do this. And I had a proclivity and perhaps even a talent um, for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to be an actor because I wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And I thought that if I put my big mug up on a screen and people came to watch that, that that would suddenly make me good enough. And when it happened, it didn't. Mm-hmm. I called my stepfather at the time to mm-hmm. say, Hey, did you see that pilot I was just in? And he said, yeah, that was interesting. And that moment that I thought I was going to get, the one where he finally saw me as worthy, um, didn't happen. And I realized in that moment that, like, you know, that's, you can't farm that shit out to other people. You have to find it in yourself. Yeah, that's true. If 
you follow me on Instagram at Eliza G underscore wellness, plug, 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 you know that I just did a big grocery store haul. I showed you all the products that I got and some of the specific groceries that I got. And one of those groceries was a Brazil nut, right? So these Brazil nuts have a ton of different nutrients, selenium, and they actually help to lower your cholesterol. So this is something that I actually never thought I would have to worry about. I recently did some blood work with Inside Tracker and they showed me way more than I ever expected. I was kind of thinking, okay, maybe they'll show me that I need some more vitamin D or I need more iron. No, they went so much deeper and they actually let me know that my levels for LDL cholesterol were high. So that's something that I'm absolutely going to work on. We don't really have much history of uh, heart issue in my family, but knowing that this is specifically only for me, it was something that I absolutely wanted to take into my own hands. So if you are one of those people that want to take charge of your health and wellness and figure out what is happening from the inside out in order to fully optimize your health, this is exactly what Inside Tracker has been designed to solve. So Inside Tracker is an ultra personalized performance system and it analyzes data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness tracker to help you optimize your body and reach your health and wellness goals. It was super simple. I had a phlebotomist come to my house. It took two, three minutes. And then in two or three days, I had all of my results sent to me with tons of follow-up information. It wasn't just letting me know the problems. It was actually giving me support on how to help better what I want to work on. So for a limited time, you can get 25% off of the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com/hotterthanhealth. Again, that is 25% off of the Inside Tracker store. I did the DNA as well as the blood, but you can choose whatever you want. Just go to insidetracker.com/hotterthanhealth. Again, insidetracker.com/hotterthanhealth. Thank you so much for sponsoring today's podcast. So I have a few friends who are herbalists, who are specifically focused on alleviating stress and working on regulating the nervous system. And so I wanted to do my due diligence and do my own research on the greens powder that I've been taking. Organifi created a greens powder with super, super simple ingredients. I think there are only 11 ingredients plus adaptogens. Adaptogens are made to help you level out. I specifically take them for anxiety. I am prone for high amounts of stress, especially if I take any caffeine. So I wanted to make sure that these products were actually supporting my overall health. I took these to a couple of herbalists and other holistic nutritionists, and they all hands down were obsessed with the ingredients. That is why I am just so pumped to continue to have Organifi as a part of the podcast. Make sure you're checking out a few of their star products that I absolutely take on a daily basis. I love their greens powder. And if you don't want to travel with a big tub of it, you can always do the greens powder packets. Super great in about 32 ounces of water. The red juice is also amazing, especially as I know it's going to start to get a little warmer, hopefully here in the next couple of months, make sure you're stocking up on the red juice. And of course, we're going to the gym, we're working out, we want to recover, and we also want to stay satisfied and let our satiety hormones be quelled. And that is why I love their plant-based vanilla and chocolate protein powder. Those are three of my absolute favorite products. You know, I also take the probiotics, but whichever one you want to start with, you cannot go wrong. I know for a fact, a lot of you listening have tried the greens powder. 
now it's time to up the game. Go to the Red's Powder, go to the Probiotic, and use the code HTH at checkout. Again, it is Organifi.com. Use the code HTH, Organifi.com slash HTH for 20% off of your purchase. Again, they ship worldwide. Organifi.com slash HTH. Check out their protein powder and their greens juice. I am obsessed. So after you went into, you did school, you went to school for eight years, you did all of that. How did you end up in Charleston? Um, so went to school, two different schools, got my license, opened my practice, and I sat down with my wife, um, and we were just like, fuck this, man. It's cold nine months out of the year here. We're raising two kids in an East Village apartment. Mm. You know, I mean, we have to take them to Barnes and Noble for something to do during the winter days. It was like, this is sad. And so I said, okay, let's a progressive city in the South near the beach. There's one choice. That's true. Yeah. So you moved here when? We moved here about, uh, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How long have you and your wife been together? 21 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. Nice. About 21. Yeah. What, um. And her name is Ashley, and she also does a lot of energy work. Yeah. And she, she's a therapist. She's a, she's she's a, a therapist. she can speak to dead people. I shit you not. I've seen behind the curtain. It's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. I gotta have her on next. It's so so crazy. Oh my god. Yeah. And her name is Ashley, and she, I would love I would love to have a conversation with her and talk to her. Yeah, she's she's, she's light. She seems she's light. I've done yeah. some research. I've done mm-hmm. some light stalking. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you've been been together for twenty one years, mm-hmm. and. What does your relationship look like now compared to how it looked when you guys first got together? (laughs) So take out the tequila. So you guys are not drinking. You do not drink. No, we, I mean, look, we have some wine for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not a, you know, I'm not not gonna say that. No, but we were bartenders in New York. Oh, got it. Got it. Okay. So we were like, it was a main character. Yeah. 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 And you know, we were both terribly wounded people, um, just sort of embarking on our, uh, moments of discovery of ourselves and and we were doing it through the lens of this we both went to this place called helix mm. which is a training program a four-year training program in new york where they accept a certain number of students in the beginning of that four years and that's your class for four years and it's like they that, splay you that's how you met yeah well no we met i walked in to my bar job oh okay and she was being interviewed for a waitress position and i literally looked at her and i was like there you are oh my god lightning bolt in the middle of the chest I still don't think she had that experience, but I did. It only takes one. And then she, the I was rest. like, holy shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Floored. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you you were splayed. Talk about that experience when you're in your four years of Helix. Helix. It was like going to Hogwarts. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. So these teachers, just five women in the early 70s founded this, this thing called Helix, and they decided that they were going to turn psychotherapy on its head and they did. And they brought in all these different modalities. You know, we were studying Jungian dream analysis. We were studying shamanic energy work. We were studying Buddhist thought. We were studying, you name it. We were, you know, the idea is that you should be able to meet the client where they are within their belief system and that you need an eclectic bag of tricks and tools to meet them in that space. So if I go to school to be a cognitive behavioral therapist, like all deference to cognitive behavioral therapy, it's wonderful. That's the lens I have. And you have to go out and get adjunct pieces and most therapists do. So you're okay. But, um, you know, if I'm an addiction therapist and I'm going to tell you why you're addicted to your anger 
I just feel like we should be a little more uh, mm-hmm. malleable than that and, and have more in there. That's also why I chose marriage and family therapy because they make you study a bunch of different systemic um, models in order to meet the clients where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of different modalities. Is Helix still around? It's not. Damn. Yeah. I mean, I was it just, there sounds- was, there just all the, all the teachers got, they, they aged out and, um, uh, you know, no one really picked up the ball. It's certain- they weren't, they weren't, they weren't financially like killing it. <laughs> they weren't, they weren't asking for what they deserved and they wanted to do good work in the world. That's all. And that's great. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think the entire Helix degree plan costs $25,000 in total for four years. I mean, that's wow. not enough money for anybody. It's really not. That's it's a not. passion project. It's a passion project. Mm-hmm. And it lasted for a long, long time, but it just was. And it's, it's unfortunate because I think, I, I mean, I think they produce Jedi's. Yeah. You know, and I still refer to the clients or to the, to the other therapists that I know in, in my sphere that were trained that way. I want to talk to you about psychedelics a little bit. Okay. How do you feel about psilocybin for treatment or removing the ego and all of that? We've had a couple episodes where we talked about, you don't have to talk about your personal experience, even though if care. you have I'll any, t- then I, listen, I don't give a shit. I'll tell you anything. Uh, well, hello. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first experience like? Um, you know, just psilocybin mushrooms. Um, mm-hmm. first experience was wonderful. Second experience scared the shit out of me. Uh, third experience was wonderful. Fourth experience scared the shit out of me. And, uh, you know, I have yet to embark on things like, um, what, where's the, what's the name of them? It's escaping me. For not, what? Not peyote. Uh, oh, ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. I have a ton of clients who have done ayahuasca and iboga. Mm-hmm. Here are my thoughts. Look, and again, you know, people say, well, you haven't done it. Well, right. I've not been a drug addict either, but I treat them. Um, yeah. So you have perspective. Yeah. So, um, went to dinner a while ago with someone, uh, a person who had, you know, gone into the Peruvian jungle and had all kinds of things to say at the dinner table about their experience. My, when my wife and I were walking back to our car, after dinner, I said, well, the same asshole that walked in that fucking jungle is the same asshole that walked out. Right? You, get, you, you go in, you get a glimpse. That's what it offers you. It offers you yeah. a glimpse. And so the clients that I have who are using it to bypass their shit because mm. they don't want to be human beings and they don't, we've, look, we've pathologized our feelings in this country. I think that most of the uh, self-help genre out there should be just titled, this is how to not feel how you feel. Yeah. Spiritual bypass, for Spiritual sure. Spiritual bypass, right. And so psychedelics seem to work best when it stands on the shoulders of psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. There's a lot of firewalls in that brain in us, especially if we have deep-seated trauma. And even the, the guy who wrote The Body Keeps the Score, Vanderkloek, he says, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. look, we don't know. Studies are still out. He's a big study guy, right? So the studies are still out, but he's like, it's promising. It looks great. And I have done work with clients where they are in the chair getting ketamine. Okay. Done a session, done sessions with ketamine treatment. Did we get to some stuff that we wouldn't get to normally? Absolutely. Yeah. It gives you a glimpse. I've done ketamine and it gives you a glimpse of what it is to not have an ego. It feel Mm -hmm. like this is, this is what it feels like when maybe the stuff you think matters so much doesn't matter so much. Mm -hmm. Where it strips everything away. Mm -hmm. But I think these, these things can't exist on their own. Mm-hmm. And I know that the people who are 
big into medicine work would tell you otherwise. I think they're, I think they're in, in for it. It's coming their way. They, they, you don't escape the work. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't think of any one situation in life where if you just fix one thing, mm. It, it, everything has an effect on everything. And it, it like nutrition, I mean, the same as any of my clients, mm-hmm. they go into it thinking, Hey, I kind of have an unhealthy relationship with food or, you know, I've been counting calories or, mm-hmm. or, Hey, I just want to lose weight. And then three months later, when we finish working together, it's literally just, we implemented journaling. We implemented intuitive eating. We implemented meditation and walking. And there's so many different facets that we cover. Mm-hmm. It's never just mm-hmm. tell me what to eat. Ever. Right. And insight's not curative. Yeah. So you're going to have this insight or you're going to discover this thing. You're going to have this remembrance. The question is, and this is the problem, right? You're, so you're in the, you're in the jungle or you're someplace with someone who's a facilitator of this thing. Mm-hmm. Are they qualified to help you integrate? What are the questions you would ask to figure out if this is the right situation for you to be in other than your intuition? But what are some things that you have seen? That I want to have... find I want to know how long they've been doing it who mm-hmm. they trained with. Okay. And, and I want to get some, some understanding about where, what's the lineage, because this is the medicine has a spirit and it has a soul to it. That's the difference I think between doing something like psilocybin and, uh, you know, plant-based medicine work and doing something like ketamine. Like you mm-hmm. can feel the difference. The, the, the ketamine doesn't have a soul. Yeah. Um, but these plant-based medicines do. And I want to know where do you come from in this lineage of delivering this? Because now it's getting so popular. It's like, well, I can do that because I went and had a, uh, you know, I went and sat with a shaman for a weekend or a week in, in Peru. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. you're just, that's not, no, sorry. Mm-hmm. And so, so a lot of the work I do or some of the work that I've done recently is people coming back from those experiences going, uh, what the fuck do I do with this little kid that I just discovered Yeah, that was so terribly abused, that was left in their crib um, and not fed? How do I deal with that kid? How do I deal with the feelings I now have towards my parents? You know, so mm-hmm. integration of those experiences becomes really important. Yeah, It's like my wife's a medium. There are a lot of mediums out there and having a mediumistic experience can be a, if it, if it's spot on and someone comes through and they're like, Oh, there's my dead dad who, you know, beat the shit out of me my Mm -hmm. whole life. Mm -hmm. Most mediums are like, it's like getting punched in the face. Yeah. And so the mediums are like, so go in light and love. They said, they say, (laughs) go in light and go in love. Okay. It's light and love. And I'm like, how the fuck are you supposed to go in light and love when you just had that experience, like, right? Do you have notes for me? Can I? Yeah. Bring how this do we do? What do we do, do, do with I, this now? How do I? It's like you have led a cow onto a roof, and there's no way of getting the cow down because cows can't climb ladders. They there's like they need this whole. <laughs> Does yeah. that make sense? And so when she sits with someone, she has the ability as a therapist to then help them integrate the experience. Mm. And so yeah, we man, you want to, you want to shake the trees. Go ahead, but make sure you have someone on belay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, on. I have had multiple people after my mom passed. I knew that when I was ready, I was like, I will mm-hmm. do some type of spiritual work to try and contact, but I didn't know, and I don't know when that will be, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to be the same types of questions mm-hmm. plus a little intuition of how long have you been doing this? Mm-hmm. I don't want to know what I can expect, but also I don't want anyone to know anything about me. I don't want it to be you know, what they've seen on social media or what, mm-hmm. you know, I want it to all be mm-hmm. what they feel mm-hmm. before I let you go. What are you most excited about in your field and then in your own personal life? Well, right now I'm most excited about my book coming out, 
You know? Oh my gosh, we didn't even touch. Well, we touched on it a little. Yeah. Okay, where can we find this book? I've read the first few chapters and I'm already in love with it. I can't wait for the hard copy. It's called The Practice of Love and it essentially stipulates that love should be a practice. It should be something that we want to be good at and that there are some specific ways. I I found that early in my career that, that, that you know, we were kind of putting the cart before the horse in a lot of ways with clients asking them to do things that they couldn't really do outside the therapy office without a therapist there. So I needed to find a modality that was simple enough for couples to use when the referee wasn't there and they were triggered, but actually complex enough to meet the, the difficult problems a lot of couples face. And so I, I came up with, with my own brand of therapy, really, and it's these five practices of mindfulness, parts of self, narrative work, choosing and then personal responsibility. And so that's all within the book and it's called the practice of love and it's on barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. It is so easy to read. Oh, it is so easy to read. And of course I was, I was like, okay, let me touch on this guy and see what, what he's got going on in his brain. Mm -hmm. I don't know you at all. And then I started reading it and everything made so much sense. Mm -hmm. And you debunked a lot of stuff. You're not gimmicky. You're not trying to sell anything. You're not yeah. just like, oh, Jim and Susan came in and they were having a tough time, but we found out communication was the issue. It was no. not anything no. that I had read before. No. So thank you yeah. for that. And then what are you most excited for in your personal life? Oh, man. Um, hopefully Costa Rica in April. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, just whatever whatever happens with this book is going to affect obviously my family and my wife and my two boys and we homeschool them. So, uh, we're able to be a little bit mobile and I'm kind of hoping that, you know, if, if, if things go well with this, that maybe we can take our show on the road for a little bit and, and maybe, uh, spend a little time down, down in Costa Rica or I don't know, maybe on the West coast, just travel around a little bit. I want to set you up with a couple of people that I know who might be able to get some more conversations like this out there for your great. book. I think that'd yeah. be really great. That'd be awesome. Well, I'm so happy to know you. Thank you so much for all of your of time course. and all of your therapy. Thanks, thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. And for anyone listening, where can people find you? LairTorrent.com and LairTorrent Holistic Therapist on Instagram. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Great. All right. Make sure you go follow him. He has so much knowledge to impart on all of us, as well as his wife, Ashley, who I think we'll be hearing from <laughs> who knows in the future before you guys go off to Costa Rica. <laughs> this is, this is me putting things into the universe. Right. Thank you so much. We will talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Hotter Than Health. I know you absolutely loved all of the wisdom that Lair provided. Remember, we are doing a giveaway with his new book. It is so simple. All you have to do is go to the Hotter Than Health podcast Instagram, let us know on my most recent post your favorite part of this episode, and you will be entered in to win. And I know for a fact that he will be writing in some of these books and sending them out with some personal tips, love, and advice. So thank you so much, Lair, for coming on the podcast. We would love to have you on again. And for anyone listening, make sure you are rating us five stars on iTunes. It is truly the best way to help support and grow the podcast podcast. The more reviews we have, the higher we show up in rankings when people search for things like health, wellness, nutrition, constipation, all those good things. So I hope everyone has a fantastic conference call this weekend and we'll talk to you next week.